privilege to have Doug sharing with us again today as we kick off a new series on looking at Jesus and him, his roles as the priest and the prophet and the king. All right. Thank you, Alan. Good morning, everyone. So uh, when I was asked to um, take part in this series and uh, selected for doing the uh, Christ the, the priest, I have to admit that I'd never really spent much time thinking about Christ as our, as our priest. Um, you know, read some of the verses in Hebrews that we're going to take a look at today, but never really gave it much consideration. So you get to kind of go along this journey that I took uh, the last couple weeks um, through this. I looked up, I started looking in the uh, um, concordance to, on verses on priest, and there are over a thousand verses. So we got to move really fast this morning through this, okay? So we're going we're gonna to kick off on in, in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. And I, lo- I love that, uh, that analogy there. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now it sounds really impressive, but what does all that mean? So that's what we're going to kind of take a look at this morning is looking at the aspects of Jesus as our high priest and, and what, uh, what that entails. And, and really, what's, what does that mean for us? So we're looking at answering three questions. What does it uh, mean for Jesus to be a high priest? What is the significance of him bring, being a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which sounds impressive? And then why is this important to us? And that's really what it kind of comes down to whenever we you know, give any kind of message, what's our takeaway and and why do we really care, right? So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, for a little bit this morning in these thousands of verses that we have to cover. Now, when you talk about a priest, obviously, you know, certain images come to mind. It, you know, if you've got a Catholic background or watch any movies or TV, you, you know, you think about, uh, you know, those types of images. Or, you know, we just celebrated Easter, and we often have a lot of common connotations about, you know, the high priests and and uh, the chief priests of persecuting Jesus and, and the apostles. Um, so sometimes when we think about priests, it's not always a real positive uh, type of conception that we may have. And so when we now try to put Jesus in that role, sometimes that's kind of conflicting. And so we need to kind of look at some of the background on the intent of the priests and, and why is it significant for Jesus uh, to be our high priest. Okay. So th- there's not much mention in, the, in uh, um, the Bible before the time of Moses on God's priest. We only have one reference, and we're going to get to that here in just a few minutes. Um, but once we get into the time of Moses, so, you know, this is about, what, 2,600 years after Adam. Um, we're at the time of Moses and the, and the Exodus, and they're out in the, in the wilderness and, and, uh, on Mount Sinai, and, and Moses is communing with God. And in uh, Exodus 19, um, God says to Moses, he says, Therefore, if you will intend to obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God, when he's relating to Moses, he wants all of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. And that was, that was uh, the idea that God had. 
Um, just a short time later, however, the people had kind of their own plans of what's going on. Okay? So Moses is up on the mountain communing with God and, and getting the Ten Commandments and, and learning the laws to bring to the people. And the people were down at the bottom of the hill having a big party and creating this golden calf because they just couldn't wait that long you know, for Moses to get back. And so we, we get that scene when Moses comes down and, and sees what's going on. And God um, commands Moses to essentially, you know, weed out the troublemakers. And so Moses calls, who's going to stand um, with, on the Lord's side? And the men that stood up for him were um, his uh, um, cousins and, and uh, brethren and everyone else, the, uh, the tribe of Levi. Okay, Moses and his brother Aaron were from the tribe of Levi. And so the other... Um, tribesmen stood up with him and they went out and they killed about 3,000 of the, of the uh, Hebrews at that time for disobeying and going against God. And so because of that, the, the Levite tribe now became the, the priestly tribe. Okay? So that's kind of the origins of where the Levites became um, the, the priesthood. Okay? And then when they got into the promised land and they were dividing up all the areas amongst the, the different tribes, the Levites didn't take land because they, were, they belonged to God. And they were dispersed throughout the other um, tribes. So throughout the, the other 11 tribes, there would be Levites living among them. Okay. Now, so all the descendants of Aaron now became um, the priests. Okay. And there were very specific rules that God set up for these priests, and only for the priests. And we can see, and we're not going to go into all the detail on this, but uh, um, all the different rules and regulations that they had, but we see some of the consequences that people had for disobeying. Uh, the sons of Aaron, so here were the first generation of the priests, went and disobeyed and, and decided to kind of give their own offering to God, and they were consumed by fire for doing that, for disobeying and giving an improper offering. So being a priest was a pretty serious uh, thing. Okay. We later uh, read about uh, King Saul. And uh, again, having that impatient nature, he decided he couldn't wait long enough for, for the prophet Samuel to show up. Samuel was a prophet and a priest. And he was going to come and, and give the offering, the sacrifice. And uh, Saul couldn't wait long enough. So he decided to go in and do it himself. Okay. Because of that, there was a curse that his kingdom um, would be taken away from him. And the same thing, Uzziah, same thing. He went in to burn um, incense that the, only the priests were supposed to be able to do this. And he was struck with leprosy. Okay? So it's pretty serious on what these duties of the priests and only the priests should be doing. Okay? Uh, now for the high priest, the high priest was one that was selected by the other priest, by man. Okay. They would go and, and figure out who among them would be the high priest. Okay. Um, and, and the priests were the mediators between the people and God. Okay. And you kind of think about it kind of like a, somewhat of a role of, a, of an attorney okay, bet between you know, a defendant and the judge. Okay. They're the mediator. They, they do the communications and, um, and act 
uh, for the best good of, of the client, um, like an attorney would do. Okay. The high priest had some special duties. That Once a year, they would make atonement for all the sins, for the, the intentional sins of the people, of, of all of Israel. Okay. Once a year on the Day of Atonement. And we're just coming out of the Easter season when this Day of Atonement uh, would have occurred. And the, the high priest would go into an area in the temple called the Holy of Holies, or the, the most holy place that only he was allowed to go in and just this once a year. And within this is the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And the lid to the Ark of the Covenant um, is called the Mercy Seat. And on this, the high priest would sprinkle blood as a sacrifice, atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. Okay? Now, you can't mention Ark of the Covenant without everybody thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know that, so I got the image here. But, you know, this is a picture of the Ark and that, you know, this is a Hollywood, obviously Hollywood's version of, of the uh, Ark, but uh, I think it's pretty close to what the, the Bible describes it. And that top lid with the, the birds on there, that's the, the mercy seat. And that's where the high priest would sprinkle the blood on this. Now, there was first an um, offering for the priest's sin. Because remember, the high priest is just a man, a sinful man. And so he had to atone for his sins before he could atone for everybody else's sins. So they would sacrifice a bull, and the blood would be sprinkled onto this uh, uh, lid or the, this mercy seat. Okay. Then there were two goats, these two perfect goats that were selected, and they would cast lots on these goats. One goat uh, would be slaughtered, and the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, like with the bull. Okay. And again, that was for the atonement of this, the sacrifice for the sins. The second goat, um, they would take and symbolically lay all the sins of the people on the head of this goat. Okay, so it would be very ceremonial, and the high priest would you know, lay his hands on the goat. And then the goat was taken out, driven away um, from the, the camp or the city, never to be returned. So that was the symbolizing the separation of sins from God. And we think about that, um, those verses that God said, you know, that uh, I will, um, you know, as far as from the east is from the west, I will remember your sins no more. And that's what this symbolizes, the scapegoat who would take on all the sins of all the people. And again, we see that these are just representations of what Jesus was going to do at a later time. Um, so here's just a, a picture of, the, of part of the temple, and we see that curtain that separates the people from the most holy. Again, only the, the high priest uh, could come into that. But we read in, in Hebrews, in chapter 6, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Okay. And remember, after Jesus' crucifixion, that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. Okay. Opening up, symbolizing that, that uh, opening uh, for the people to uh, access God. Okay. Now, continuing on in Hebrews 8, we look at the fact that the, the priesthood is merely a model for what's to come. So what, what God had set up okay, during Moses' time and, and throughout until Jesus was just a model of what was coming. 
And it says, now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest at all, he being Jesus, uh, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a shadow and copy of the heavenly things. So when we talk about a shadow or a, um, a copy of heavenly things, we're talking about setting up a model for what's to come, for, for what is unseen. Now, anybody take college chemistry way back in the day? Alan, a couple of you guys, a couple of you did, okay. You probably remember we work with different models. I, I did my undergraduate in biology and chemistry, and we worked a lot with you know, little balls and, and sticks, and we made models of molecules and atoms and, and things like that because we can't see them. Okay? We can't you know, visualize a, a hydrogen you know, atom or a water molecule or anything at that level, so we have to make up models to describe some of the, the features of that. And I learned you know, back then about models and, and the fact that they're not perfect, um, but they describe certain aspects of whatever it is, the, the true thing that we want to describe. And, and how I learned this, we start off with an elephant. Let's assume you don't know, have no idea what an elephant is. Now I could take this little stuffed toy and this could be our model for an elephant. And from here you see, oh, elephants have big ears, they've got a trunk, they've got four legs, they've got a tail, you know, they're gray. So we get an idea of what a true elephant is like. Okay? But this is not a perfect model, is it? Okay? It doesn't describe every aspect of an elephant. Okay? Elephants aren't nice and soft and furry. They, they typically don't rattle when you shake them. Um, you know, they're not usually stuffed with fluff. Um, but it describes a lot of the aspects for if we want to give character, certain characteristics of an elephant. Now maybe we, we have other air aspects of, of an elephant that we want to describe, like how big it is, how much work it can do, some other features. So we, we'd have to have a totally different model for that. Uh, we could use Norb's pickup truck okay, as our model if it was kind of an old green elephant, you know, we could use his pickup truck. But about the right size and the shape and it can do, you know, it can haul about the same amount of things and it takes in fuel. So there's other models that we can have. So I say this in that when we look at reading the Old Testament, we're seeing a lot of things that are just models for what's to come because they haven't seen Jesus at that time. They don't know what the Son of God is really going to be doing and what that's going to imply in all the aspects of the Son of God. And so we have to have models so we can start to get an idea. And that's what the Bible talks about, a copy and a shadow of, a, of the heavenly things. Okay? It's a model for what we can't see yet okay? and what we haven't experienced yet. So Jesus is the true and perfect priest. Okay? He's a mediator, as I said, you know, kind of like the acting in the role of the attorney. Um, and has uh, the true eternal sacrifice once for all. Okay, he doesn't have to do this yearly. 
to make the atonement for all the sins. The Levitical priest was the imperfect model used to just give us an idea. Um, The same way the law is. I mean, the law doesn't make anyone perfect, and we know this. The law wasn't designed to make anyone perfect. It was a shadow of of, uh, things to come, and it was to show us our sinfulness. Same as the priesthood is to show us that we need a mediator between us and God. And, um, you know, that's, that's the example that we have through the priest until the, the perfect would come. Okay? So that's a little background on, on the priest itself. So next, what's the significance of him being a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? And again, as I said, that, that sounds pretty impressive. Um, you know, if you were to put that on your resume, you know, I am a French fry server in the order of Melchizedek, you know that would get you a job because that would be impressive to say that. Okay? But what does that mean um, to be within that order of Melchizedek? So we're going to look back, and I had mentioned earlier that there was only you know, one um, verse about a, a priest prior to uh, the time of Moses and Aaron, and that's in Genesis, Genesis chapter 14. Now we set the, the scene there is that uh, Abram, this is pre-Abraham, Abram was coming back from rescuing Lot and his family. Um, and he's returning uh, from the battle where he had defeated um, Shedderlamer. I'm guessing that's how, remember in Bible study, we all know that if we can't pronounce a name, we just call him George. So um, we can call him George. And the kings uh, who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of uh, Sheva. And this is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was a priest of of God the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And this is really about all we know at this point about Melchizedek. We just know that he was someone that Abram felt he needed to give a tithe to. Okay? So someone who was high, that Abram recognized was high up or a person of God that he should you know, give a sacrifice to. Okay? Um, and we read a you know, few other verses prior to Hebrews about Melchizedek. Okay? In Psalms, Psalms 110.4, the Lord has sworn and will never change his mind. You, and again he's talking about Jesus, his, his son, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is what in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is quoting. He's quoting this verse from Psalms. Again, still not a lot of background as to what that means. We get to Hebrews 7, and it says, For this Melchizedek king of Salem, Salem was most likely Jerusalem, Um, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham supported a tenth part of everything. This is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's Melchizedek is a king of righteousness. Um, And then also king of Salem, that is king of peace. 
He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. So being part of this order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek is what's called a Christophany, is a big fancy word for this, but it's kind of a pre-incarnate Jesus, an example of the pre-incarnate Jesus um, at that time, back in the days of, you know, in Genesis. Um, Showing that this order is separate from the Levitical order. Okay, this is outside the norm. Okay, God set up the Levitical order that they were going to be descendants of Aaron. Okay, and if you were born in that, you were automatically born into the priesthood. Um, and again, from the tribe of Levi. Okay. Melchizedek was not from that order. This is pre-Levi. He has no beginning and no end, okay, just like the Son of God. So coming from this order, it's, it's different than the Old Covenant is. And we'll, we'll see the significance of that again if we look at this new order, continuing on in, in chapter 7. It says, Now if perf- perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, okay, through the system set up with Moses, For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise from the order of Melchizedek? Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there was a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So we're changing the order from the Levitical system to the order of Melchizedek. Which means we need a new covenant. The old covenant under the law... Now we're under the new covenant that Jesus brought forth uh, through his sacrifice. Okay. For the one whom these things were spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has uh, ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord Jesus is descended from Judah and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Okay. Jesus came from the line, the tribe of Judah, not from Levi. So the people from the tribe of Judah were never priests under the Levitical system. Moses didn't say anything about that. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, so not coming from the lineage of, of Levi, but by the power of the indestructible life, For as witness to him, you are the priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. So, again, this gets a little heavy in here. But basically what what the author is saying here is the Levitical system, again, just being a model, was not perfect. Because if it it had been perfect and worked, Jesus wouldn't need to have come and died on the cross. If we had a true method for the forgiveness of our sins forever then Jesus would not have had to come and be a high priest and and make the sacrifice that he did. And we're having a new covenant, and that's signified by having a new order of priesthood. It's not under the same system as what we had before. So why is this important? 
And that's the question where we need to answer here. Um, first off, you know, um, again, I said the high priests were appointed by man okay, in the Levitical system, but under the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood is appointed by God. So God appointed Jesus to be high priest. He didn't appoint himself to this, but he did give reference to the fact. In John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I am your mediator. I am the way to get to the Father. So he's, he's pronouncing that. Now, back in Hebrews chapter 4, what's, what's exciting about this and how we can apply this is the fact that he says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Okay? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay? So we have a high priest now forever who understands our sinfulness. He understands our temptations. He understands the weaknesses that we have, the pain that we've gone through, um, our small group went through a, an Easter um, experience video series, and, and one of the uh, lessons was on you know, Jesus understanding our pain. And to me, that was probably one of the most impactful things that, that we went through, but showing that he understood you know, the psychological pains that we went through. He, you know, we went through that preparing for himself for the cross and his separation from his father. He went through the psychological torment. He went through the, the relationship torment of being betrayed by his closest friends. He went through the physical pain of being tortured and crucified. Oh, he knows every aspect of pain um, that we were, will ever go through. Okay? He knows he's been tempted by all the different sins. You know, Satan you know, got up there and tried to tempt him in all different possible ways. He knows what those temptations are like. So we have a mediator before the Father, that knows everything that we're going to go through. Okay? None of us can say, oh, well, no one's going to understand, because he will always understand forever everything that we have to go through. Okay? Um, so we have a high priest, that mediator, okay? but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Okay, so what does that tell us? That because we have this mediator that understands us okay, and the fact that it's forever he has given this uh, atonement sacrifice, we can go before the Father with confidence, with boldness. Some of your, ver your versions may say go with boldness. Okay? We don't have to be ashamed of our sinfulness. Okay, because it's forgiven. If we've approached him, if we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we get that forever. Okay? There's no more sacrifice that needs to be done. There's no more work that we have to pull together. Okay, we don't have to come up and, oh, okay, I have to go to you know, um, church so many times this year, and I have to memorize so many Bible verses, and I have to, you know, here's my list of things that I have to do, and I have to work on it to really get forgiven. Okay? That's not the case. That's not what he's saying. The, the forgiveness is there. All we have to do is accept it, and then we can boldly go before the Father. 
Um, you know, he continues to sanctify us, set us apart for his holy means. Okay? Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away the sins. Okay? But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies would be made at his footstool at his feet. For by a single offering he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected. Okay? That's what God sees. He sees Jesus. He sees the perfect when he sees us because if we have Jesus living within us. Okay? For all time. And that's the importance of being forever in that new order. Okay? Not under the Levitical system where we have to repeatedly do works. Okay? We've got a one-time sacrifice. And we've got a continual forever mediator um, because of that. Okay? Um, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is a covenant which I've made with them after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts, write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless needs no more. Okay? Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. There is no need to offer anything else for our sins. It's been taken care of. We just need to accept that gift. And then we can have that confidence and boldness. Um, and it's easy for us to take for granted the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross and the eternal and continuous need that we have for him to be our mediator. We can look at it and say, remember Easter. <coughs> Excuse me. And we can... Um, thank Jesus for doing you know, what he did 2,000 years ago, uh, for dying on the cross, and move on with our daily lives. But the fact is we still need him to be that mediator. Okay? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's not a one-time thing that he's a mediator. It's a one-time thing for the sacrifice, but it's a continual need that we have for this mediator okay? to go through the Father, through him. Um, so we will always need him um, to be in our lives. And we need to constantly be reminded of that fact so that we can have that boldness to approach uh, the throne. Yeah. Um, so, since we've been surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, okay? the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay? So there's our challenge to endure, um, to continue on with that race with, with uh, Jesus the Christ as our priest and our mediator uh, before God. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? And we have that, we have that access uh, through Jesus. Okay. Um, we're going to be going to the, the table here for offering a, um, a remembrance of our communion. And as we do that, I challenge you to, uh, to uh, look to Jesus as our mediator, not just as Savior, that's one aspect um, he is also our high priest um, who intercesses between uh, us and God. 
He is there for us uh, continually, forever. Um, As we go into communion, we look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul says, I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're doing here this morning. Now, uh, here at, uh, at Creekside, um, we, uh, we offer communion to uh, anyone who is a believer. Uh, some churches uh, use what's called open communion. They say it's just open to anybody that wants to come up. Some of you have a closed system that can only be for members. Uh, but here we use what I term close communion, which means that we, we ask you that you be part of the body of believers if you want to come and take part of communion. Now, that's between you and the Lord. We're not here to judge anyone. That's you know, completely between you and, and the works of the, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we do ask that because of the seriousness of this, that you do um, have Jesus uh, as part of your, your life, as your, your personal Savior, to take part in, in this uh, um, ceremony that we go through. And so let's uh, take our time in, in prayer and uh, remember what the Lord has done for us. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time that we've come to share in your word, uh, to learn about aspects of you that maybe we haven't delved into before. Lord, we look uh, to you to be a a mediator uh, because you do understand uh, our, our pain, our suffering, our weaknesses, our sinfulness, our thoughts. You understand them all, Lord, and there's nothing that we can't come before you with. And we thank you that you've forgiven us for all of these weaknesses that we have. You know, continually forever uh, through your sacrifice. And as we take part in this bread and this, this drink, Lord, we just remember and thank you uh, for that sacrifice, that one-time atoning sacrifice that you gave for us. We lift this up to the Father in the name of the Son, and Jesus. Amen.